Hi, and welcome back to the Pleasing God Podcast, a weekly show focused on helping Christians to think biblically, engage practically, and live faithfully for the glory of God. I'm your host, Jonathan Soule. And what I want to do for the next, I don't know, few weeks or so, is I want to begin a little mini-series of episodes on the subject of faith. I want to start out with defining faith biblically, looking at how and ways in which we can practically apply faith in the everyday Christian life, and then use the scriptures also as examples that we see of faith throughout the Bible. Faith is foundational to our existence as believers, and really, faith is at the core a part of every person's makeup, whether or not they're believers in Jesus Christ or not. Faith is present somewhere in some form or some fashion. And I think that can all ultimately be traced back to being image bearers of God. And there's a longing for the divine in all people. But faith, the way we want to define it, is from the Christian biblical perspective. And again, I think it's a term that is thrown out a lot. You know, keep the faith, don't lose your faith. I'm losing my faith. But with the wide use of the term, I'm not sure that we're all operating with the same definition. And so what do we mean by faith biblically? We're just coming off the um, Reformation Sunday, where one of the verses that really drove Martin Luther some 500 or so years ago, was Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Well, picking up in verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And for Martin Luther, this was huge. This was this was groundbreaking for him that he saw that his righteousness was dependent upon faith and not works. And so that began his whole journey and, and ultimately his reformation. And so we talk about faith. What is it that we actually mean? Because every Christian claims to have it. I think the greatest definition of faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer of Hebrews unknown says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so what does this mean? What is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen? This is a two-part definition here. To interpret this, I would, I would say that defining faith is the sure confidence of what God has promised. This is the assurance of things so forth. This is the sure confidence in what God has promised. And then the second part of the definition, I would say the convincing proof of what is unseen. So there's a confidence and this conviction, this this sense of knowing something to be true, although you have not seen it. This is faith. Faith isn't just wishful thinking or kind of holding on to something hopeful that maybe one day it will happen. No, there's a sense of being grounded. Faith is not simply wishful thinking. 
sure confidence of what God has promised with the convincing proof of what is unseen. It is a knowing. It is not simply a guessing game. So let's try to even make this a bit more practical. When we think about faith, the sure confidence of what God has promised, convincing proof of what we have not seen, we can break it down into really three parts. And I think it's helpful to think in these categories when it comes to faith. This is what makes up faith. These are the components that make up faith. And the first is knowledge. Peter writes at the end of his second letter that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have faith without knowledge. This is very important to understand, is that when we talk about the sure confidence of what God has promised, we have to know what God has promised. We're not going to believe in what we do not know. We're not going to put our faith into something just simply blindly or without any knowledge of something. So in order for us to even begin a journey of faith, we must have some knowledge. And what is that knowledge? Well, when we talk about faith from the Christian perspective or saving faith or faith in Christ, we we must know what the Bible says. We must know things concerning the promises of God, who God is. Maybe another category that we could break down is when we think about God, then we think about mankind, humans, and Christ. These are three categories. We need to know something about God. We need to know something about ourselves. We need to know something concerning Christ. Without knowledge, there is no faith. And so uh, this is why faith is very much grounded in what we know. And so first aspect of faith, I would say, is knowledge. But just knowing something isn't faith. Just because we know some facts or some stories, that's not faith, but it is the foundation. Moving beyond knowledge, we must believe the things we know to be true. So whereby we've read the Bible, there are many who have read the Bible, they have knowledge about the Bible, but they don't believe it. They don't have faith. And they would tell you they don't have faith. They don't believe these things are true. They don't give assent to the truthfulness found in the word of God. And so that's, for many people, that's where their pursuit of faith ends. From knowledge, done. But the second aspect is knowledge to belief. We must believe the things that are said in the word of God as true. So, when the Bible says God is holy, we believe that to be true that God is just, that God is loving, that God is creator. But also what the Bible says about humans, we must believe that to be true. Created in God's image, fallen, sinful, depraved, helpless, in need of rescue. So there's a sense of knowledge and belief. Now, we don't have to know everything and believe every little thing. No, we're going to spend a lot, as Christians, we spend a lifetime with kind of faith-seeking understanding. We have faith, but we want to grow in our, our knowledge and understanding. But at the baseline, we have to have knowledge and we must believe the things that we know to be true. But even there, that's not faith. Because in James he's speaking to his audience and James says, you believe that God is one. He's like, great. The demons believe that and they shudder. 
He's saying you don't have faith. Faith is not just simply assent to facts. And I think this is where many kind of go awry. They, you know, there's some knowledge. Uh, people believe the things that they are told are true. And, you know, you ask someone, you know, do you believe you're a sinner? They say, yes. Do you believe Christ died on the cross? They say, yes. Well, then if you just pray this prayer or do this thing, then you can become a Christian. So they do that and they have this knowledge and belief, but they're missing a key component. And so when we think about faith, we must know, we must believe. And then the third component, we must trust. This is what separates believers, Christians from others. The devil knows, the devil's a theologian. The devil believes God is real. The devil knows more about God than we do, but there is no trust. And this is the action of faith. Faith knows, faith believes, faith trusts, and the object of that trust, as we defined the sure confidence of what God has promised, ultimately at the center of faith, of the trust, of the object is Jesus Christ. Trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that when I say, I have faith, what I am saying is I am trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I know the truth of Christ. I believe these the, the truth of the gospel. Those are facts. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. But more than just believing these things as stories that I heard growing up, I'm putting my trust. My heart is there. I'm giving all of this. I'm banking eternity on this truth that Jesus Christ died for sinners and that in his death, he has paid my debts. I am trusting in him and not myself to pay my debts that I cannot pay. There's a sum too great, but that he willingly discharged the debts that I owe for my sins. So I'm trusting in him and that's making a difference in my life. As I'm trusting in Christ, I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in my own works. I'm not putting confidence in my own self-righteousness, but my confidence, my trust, my faith is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that's what we would define as saving faith. And God has promised that all who are trusting in his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God has promised everlasting life to those who are trusting in Christ, to those who put their faith in him, who repent and turn to him in, in saving faith. And so I have confidence in this promise that what God has said because of who God is will come to pass. And even coupled with that, I have seen the convincing proof that Jesus Christ changes lives. I'm a living example, but I've seen it throughout the world. I see it throughout the pages of history. I see it throughout the building and sustaining of the church. The evidence is overwhelming. So I don't have to see God face to face. I don't have to see Jesus face to face to know that he is real, that the gospel is real, and that the gospel is at work in the lives of people throughout the land. That's faith. That's faith defined. And as we would broaden that from saving faith to just kind of maybe a general sense of faith in the goodness of God, faith in who who God is and what he has said, 
this is our hope. This is this is what kind of carries us through, especially in tough times and difficult times. Hebrews 11, again, uh, verse 1, we read that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then verses 2 and 3, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so primarily, especially in these first three verses here, when we think about faith applied, we take faith and we apply that to origins. We apply that to how did we get here? Now, the interesting thing is everybody has to exercise some level of faith when it comes to the origin of the universe. The difficulty is there are some who want to talk about evolution or these spinning particles uh, and that their argument is that nothing created something. And in reality, that doesn't make sense. And I don't have enough faith to believe that nothing created something, but I do have enough faith to believe that an eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God has the power to speak all things, worlds and universe into existence, and he's the first cause of all things. And so faith causes me and allows me to believe this to be true. You think about faith being applied in other areas, practically in our lives. We apply faith is applied in our salvation, trusting in Jesus Christ. But we are to apply faith, living by faith in our daily lives. We are to be those as Christians who walk by faith, not by sight. That doesn't mean we walk around with our eyes closed, but we do recognize that there's something bigger going on. There's God is at work in the world. God is at work in our lives. And we might not always see or understand why things are happening, but God calls us to live by faith. It's as though God asks, do you trust me? And we would like to say, yes, absolutely. Well, then walk this path, walk in faith. And so thinking about faith, it is for daily living. Faith also helps to calm our anxieties. We're creatures that are prone to worry, prone to be fearful. But when we think about the promises of God, what he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Cast all your burdens upon him because he cares for you. We're to do that by faith. We're to lay down our burdens at the feet of our Savior. We're not to allow difficulties, trials, and anxieties to distract us from the mission and from the faith that we're, we're supposed to exercise. In fact, trials, tribulations, difficulties, anxiety, we can use those to strengthen our faith, that those things will come into our lives and that God will even use them to draw us closer to him, to strengthen our faith, to build our confidence in him and his promises and that it is good. The author of Hebrews will give a whole list of examples of those who walked and lived by faith and how, by looking to them, they can be an example to us. 
And this is such a good practice. If you're somebody that's struggling with your faith, look to someone else. Not not to compare yourself to them, but look to them to help strengthen you. The author of Hebrews is writing to people that are fearful, that are that that might be kind of shrinking back in the face of difficulties concerning the Christian faith that they had begun to walk in. And the author is making the case that the people of God have always been saved by faith and walked by faith. And that's not a new thing. And so his first example is Abel. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so when we think about Abel, Abel is the second born child of Adam and Eve, and his brother Cain killed him. And the first example of faith in the whole of scriptures that we have here is someone who died. He was a martyr. He believed God. He took the knowledge that he had, his belief and his trust, and he acted upon that. And he made and gave a sacrifice to God that was acceptable. He walked by faith and it cost him his life. And yet we still see that through his faith, as the author gives us here in verse 4, though he died, he still speaks. Faith leaves a legacy. And if we want to be remembered, we want to be remembered as those that were faithful. And so as you might be wrestling with faith, asking difficult questions, asking, wondering where is God, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to have that sure confidence that what in what God has promised and that God will never lie. He cannot lie. He who has promised is faithful. And you might be looking around at the world or the news and just seeing difficulties, wars, and pain and suffering. You're asking, where's goodness in this world? Where's God? Let me tell you that there is convincing the convincing proof that God is on the throne. Even though things might not look good at times, God has not stepped down. He rules and he reigns, and he is going to make all things new. And so we can continue to look forward in faith, in full confidence, trusting with the convincing proof that God reigns. And he cares about you more than you care about you. And so be encouraged. And so over the next few weeks, I think we're going to consider some of these other examples of the life of faith in God's people. And I pray that it will be an encouragement to, to all of you who are listening as, you want, as we want to be strengthened in our faith, that we would live lives pleasing to God faithfully in all that we do. I want to thank you for listening to the Pleasing God podcast. If you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. You could reach out at questions at pleasinggodpodcast.org. And remember, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification.